Hello and welcome back to After the Ending. This is episode number three. I'm your host, Mike Spring, along with my co-host, Phil Edwards. Hey, Phil, how you doing? I'm not too bad. I hope you're okay. I'm doing well. It was uh, exciting Oscars last night, which we're going to talk about a little bit later. And uh, did you uh, get a chance to uh, see some of them? Anything about them? Uh, I was going to watch it, but it's at four o'clock in the morning over here, so I just uh, slept through. <laughs> I read about it uh, the next day. Well, yeah. this morning, yeah. Yeah, I think if they aired them over here at 4 o'clock in the morning, I, I would sleep yeah. through them too. So, yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I, I like film, but I like my sleep as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You got you know, it's, it's a good balance, you know yes, what I mean? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> All right, so today we are going to talk about uh, Chronicle, which is a uh, kind of found footage superhero movie from a couple years back. And then, of course, the uh, John Hughes classic Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, um, which I have lots of thoughts about. So, um, But first, let's start off with Chronicle. Phil, you wanted to go ahead and uh, take point on that one? Okay, this is the film by, uh, this was Josh Trank's debut, who did the recent Fantastic Four film. It's also written by Max Landis, and as you've said, it's a bit like a comic book superhero film uh, crossed with the found footage, but it's, uh, it works out a lot more than that, in my opinion. We follow a group of th- three uh, teenagers. Andrew is a Seattle teen. He's the main guy, played by Dane DeHaan. He be- decides to begin videoing his life. His mum's dying of cancer. His father called Richard is an alcoholic, shouts and hits him, and Andrew's also bullied at school. He's not having a good life. However, his popular cousin, Matt, takes him to a party where they meet uh, another student, uh, Steve, played by Michael B. Jordan, who was recently in Creed. Um, while at this party, they find a hole in the ground, go down, have a look, as you do, and find this weird blue crystal thing. A loud noise knocks them out. They get nosebleeds and pass out. All well and good so far. A few weeks after that, They've all, we see them again, and they've all developed telekinetic powers, and they are doing various pranks and tricks just to see what they can do with it. And it all culminates in Andrew, the main guy who's videoing everything, using his powers to push a truck off the road. Things move on from there. Andrew starts going steadily downhill, getting worse and worse, getting a bit cruel or getting a bit vicious. Uh, They learn to fly using the powers. Andrew does a magic trick at school, and he's finally popular, but then messes it up at a party after that. And then he goes off the deep end. He gets withdrawn, angry uses powers on his father, gets involved in fights. Steve confronts him in the middle of a thunderstorm up in the sky, which is a great scene. Steve gets hit by lightning and dies. And Andrew calls himself an apex predator and uses power to get back at all those who've, who've slighted him. He goes on a rampage in downtown Seattle. Matt tries to calm him down, but eventually has to use his powers to impale Andrew with a spear from a statue. Matt is surrounded by police, but flies away. And the film ends. We see Matt videoing himself uh, in the mountains of Tibet where he vows to use his powers for good. The end. There you go. You know, it's funny. I didn't realize until just now when you were describing it that there's a, a little bit of a carry influence going on there. You yeah, know? yeah, definitely carry involved in this one. And the Fury as well. That's another yeah, right, right, telekinetic exactly. power one. Yeah. So it always seems with films involving telekinesis, the, uh, the protagonist always ends up going a bit psycho, going off on the deep end and lashing back at the people who bully them. Yeah, that's interesting. It's like other superpowers, people turn into superheroes. But if you get telekinesis, you, you go crazy and kill people, I guess. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I guess I know when people ask you what superpower would you have, I guess from now on I will not answer telekinesis because clearly that ends badly. Clearly it's got its benefits, but it makes you go a bit crazy. <laughs> right, right. I'll <laughs> stick with you know flight or invisibility yeah. or something. Okay then, Mike. So uh, what, do you, uh, what do you see happening the day after the events of the film? All right. So I think, um, you know, I, I like the character of Matt and I, I think He's sort of the focus of my of my after the ending here. Uh, well, yeah, obviously, same here. He's a, right. he's a good guy, isn't he? Yeah. yeah, he is. And you know, the other two characters are dead, so obviously, <laughs> that, that sort of leads you know lends itself to that. But um, you know, I think Matt. I think he really tries to um, live up to his um, um, desire to be a good guy. I think he saw what went wrong, and he really wants to make good on it. So I think what happens is, you know, there's that final shot where you see.
see that that Tibetan monastery in the background. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great shot, yeah. yeah. It really is. And I think what happens is Matt basically spends the day flying around Tibet and, and kind of collecting his thoughts and, and making a plan. And eventually what he does is he settles down um, back down at that same monastery and he goes to approach the monks um, for help. And I'll leave yeah. it there until we get to our next section. How about you? That's that's pretty similar to what I had as well. I said he stays in Tibet for a while, uh, meditating, finding himself, but also pushing his powers a little bit, just seeing what he can do with them. But as you say, he's seen what happened with Andrew, so he's he's determined uh, to to do right by everything. He's uh, with great power comes great responsibility, as one superhero uh, <laughs> keeps going on about. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, he's going to stick with uh, them for the next few days. And meanwhile, over in Seattle, the police will have ID'd Matt because there's lots of video cameras going around. He was clearly seen in lots of places. So there'd also be the the rumblings of trying to track this this flying person down who saved the day. Right, right. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. You know, I didn't. That is, uh, I didn't really focus on that side of things. I didn't really think about. You're right that yeah. like, it's not like some of the other movies that we've talked about. In this case, they would very clearly be able to figure out that it was that it was Matt, and also that that he had powers and that these other guys had powers. So that's interesting. Yeah, because they're both shouting the names at each other as well. It's a bit right. like the end of Akira. You know, Tetsu and yep. Kaneda shouting. Yep. And actually, as I was reading up on that, I did see that uh, Josh Trank did cite that as one of his influences. So oh, um, oh. Yeah, yeah. So that yeah, was def- he's def- definitely there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, and, and finally, yeah, Andrew's body is put under quarantine because they've seen this person flying around before he was impaled. Oh, so yeah. they're going to want to try and find out what's I'm sure the government made that sick, the yeah. heck out of him. Yeah, without a doubt. So I think that's that. What about the uh, the immediate aftermath then? All right. So Matt decides that you know the only way to really learn from these monks is to be honest with them. You know, he can't. He's not going to just try and go there and learn how to meditate. He's, he's got to show them what he can do. So so even though they don't speak English, he uses his powers and he shows them what he can do. Okay. Eventually, he communicates with them that he wants them to teach him, you know, both to learn how to use his powers, but also to how to harness them wisely and, and kind of, you know, channel that inner peace. You know, I mean, he's he's clearly yeah. seen Batman begin, so he knows that that's where, yeah. <laughs> that's where you go for good training. And, yeah, um, and you, f- you, lo- you learn, you focus. And, right, right. Yeah. He, that's what he wants to do. He wants to be able to use the powers in, in the best ways possible, but also to make sure he doesn't go the route of Andrew and, and really maintain that inner peace. So um, I think basically he... He begins a training regimen with them that, that basically strips him down to his core yeah. and allows him to kind of find that inner peace with himself. And really, you know, even though he went through this trauma of, of you know, killing his, you know, his cousin. Um, yeah, because he's, he's done a powerful, dreadful thing. But right. But it had to be done. It had to be done. Exactly. I think, yeah. you know, I think he's guilty at first, but I think he eventually, you know, with the help of the monks, he gets over that and, and finds peace of himself. And uh, at the same time, he, he hones his powers and develops them so that he can really, um, he has, you know, a masterful level of control with them. So, yeah, there you go. That That's, uh, again, it's, I, I had him down as a, he's much still in Tibet, learning his new abilities, the monastery, becoming more one with himself and the world. And right. with the telekinesis, if he's putting a force out onto the world, then he might be able to feel the force coming back to him. I could say in a Star Wars force, but just he feels the, the life around him and that helps him even more to, you know, use his power for good. Right, right. Um, I basically says he, he's, he's on the path to becoming a superhero to the world. Mm-hmm. And his experience with Andrew's kept him focused and humble. And also some of the abilities I had, I had from uh, using his telekinesis, he could also eventually learn how to alter the way he looks. Oh, cool. I like Doing that. that. Just, just, just going a different way and just would also help him if he's going to become this, you know, a force for good in the world. Right, right. Absolutely. I like that. Especially if he ever wants to go back to Seattle, because, you know, like yeah. you said, the police are probably looking for him. Exactly. And he could just wander around and 
planned in. Right. I, right. I also, I'd also put a note down saying Mulder and Scully turn up in Seattle. <laughs> Basically, <laughs> whoever the, in the FBI would right. be investigating, you know, these flying people. Yeah, I love that. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's who yeah. else would do it? But it would be an X file for sure. Yeah. And Scully wouldn't believe him despite all the yeah. video evidence. You know? Yeah, because that, that footage, that the video evidence, would people start saying it's fake? It's oh, it's just it's promoting a new film. It's right. Just just a viral video. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, lastly, how do you see it all going into the long term? All right. Well, I think eventually Matt, you know, I, I do think he, like you said, he sort of becomes a superhero. He starts helping people, but eventually he also wants to find out, you know, what what happened to them. You know, what was this thing that gave them their powers? So he he flies back to Seattle and he goes back to the the woods near the house where the party was to try and find this this blue crystal but when he gets there uh he finds that it's gone um but of course in the woods he finds a clue like an empty uh mre wrapper from the military and he realizes that the government has the has the crystal so there's, he, there's always a clue isn't there? there's always of a course. clumsy soldier <laughs> dropping something um and uh so he uses his like tibetan zen powers and his superpowers to sort of like hone in on the crystal you know like like almost like a radar sense you know and he and he finds out where it is so he dons like a superhero disguise which he hasn't really done so far yeah uh, and breaks into the military complex um and he you know to try and get this crystal back and even though he has to fight the guards he doesn't kill or hurt any of them like permanently he just disarms them and dismantles them you know because he's a hero because he's a hero now i think i think he does you know i think he overcomes the you know the power corrupting thing because the monks have taught him how to you know how to be at peace, and so he yeah. um, he gets the crystal back, and now that he's kind of mastered his powers, he sort of has like a like a like a rapport with it, like not like it talks to him, but he sort of can get senses from it, you know, and he realizes that it's from outer space, which I like mean, like a cosmic awareness. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, you know, not that it's a giant leap that's from outer space, but that's you know, <laughs> uh, that's the way it was going, really. Isn't right. It? Yeah, I think so. Um, he realizes it's a it's a fragment from a faraway planet. Um, and so, but he can't get more than that. He doesn't know if there's life on this planet or not. So he, he wants to find out. So he does a test run and discovers that he can use his powers to survive in space. Oh, I like that. Yeah. So eventually he kind of preps and he, he stocks up on some, some supplies and stuff. And, uh, in one of those closing final shots that I seem to like so much, he flies off into the stars and we fade to black. And uh, oh, eventually there's a sequel, maybe. <laughs> that sounds very cool. Always good going off into the, the vastness of the universe. Yeah, well, you know, because I, I figured if I if I go any further than that, I could write a whole, you know, series yeah, of yeah. movies, you know. That'd be good. I'd read that, yeah. yeah. But I, I do kind of like that, you know, that idea of him sort of flying off into space to kind of discover his origins. You know, I think that yeah. sort of is a is a kind of one of those open-ended endings that can also lead to, you know, potential sequels. Excellent, yeah. I really like that, yeah. Thanks. What about you? Okay, I've got one uh, with Matt. Around the world, there's reports of various figures saving people, uh, putting, you know, averting disaster, fighting crime. Mm-hmm. Uh, they all look different, but it's all Matt right. using his power, using his abilities to change shapes. So in every country, there's a different, he has a different persona. Right. Just to basically, he's basically showing off a little bit, but also just, to throw people off if people think there's lots of these these heroes it's more chance of him being able to avoid just being pegged down to one place sure sure so he does that helps uh, helping people all the while uh, but then he begins to feel others like him or he feels other others calling to him mm-hmm. you know, as you said you know, not talking to him but he's just picking up vibes and things right uh, so he follows these down and begins to find other people like him uh, but they're working for the, the military turns out the uh the military took the blue crystal and they've been experimenting on other people to see what this this crystal from the stars can do. Yeah. But also, like all good comic book stories, 
Andrew isn't dead. <laughs> nice. <laughs> at the time of his death, his consciousness had inhibited a policeman, and it was dormant at, f- at first for a few months or years, and eventually takes over this guy. And Andrew continues to hone his abilities, including the shape-changing ability so he can look like his original form. Mm-hmm. And he becomes a supervillain and Matt's nemesis. Nice. And then we have a big, you know, super battle at some point again. There you go. Yep. I like that. Yeah, that was it. Very cool. Now, see, it's interesting. So I'm, I'm, I'm proud of us. I'm going to say this because, you know, this would have been an easy one for you to turn him into a serial killer. Yeah, yeah. Or, <laughs> or, or for me to go meta, which I thought about because part of me was like, what if after he gets these powers, something happens, he loses his memory and he goes in like a dormant state and then he realizes he's in the Matrix and he becomes Neo. And I was like, no, you know what? I'm I'm not going there. Like, <laughs> oh, it, it could have been it could have been another film. You see somebody reading the comic book, right. Of Chronicle, and it turns out Chronicle right. is just a comic book. See exactly. So I, I didn't I didn't go meta, and you didn't go serial killer. So yeah. I'm I'm very proud of us. Yes, <laughs> it could have been a bit too easy that one. Right, right, exactly. But uh, <laughs> but I like I do like that though of the you know having the the kind of the, the classic supervillain. You know, like you said, they always come back from the dead. Yeah. So yeah, that's, I didn't think about that. But I like yours as well with going the cosmic Green Lantern route. But you know, good Green Lantern, not like the film Green Lantern. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. <laughs> well, great. All right. Well, that wraps up um, Chronicle then. Yeah. Uh, anything else you want to say about the film? Uh, just uh, for a debut feature, I thought it was an excellent movie and it uh, it pushed it pushed what a found footage film can be. It sort of made it fresh again for a while. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I I, um, I don't generally care for found footage films, yeah. uh, I, but I do like Chronicle quite a bit. And I'm, I'm disappointed. Now, I, I, in all honesty, I have not seen Fantastic Four, so I don't know if it's a bad film. I, I've heard nothing but bad things about yeah. it. But if it lives up to the, the bad hype, it's disappointing that Josh Trank sort of you know, self-destructed a little bit because yeah. I thought Chronicle was a very promising debut. So hopefully he can kind of dig himself out of whatever hole he's gotten into. And I do, you know. I do hope so. I think he could have done with being allowed to make a couple more indie kind of movies just to just to come to terms with dealing with slightly bigger casts and crew, things like that. Yeah, I, I do think maybe it was a little a little too much too soon, yeah. perhaps, you know? Seems that way, but, but we'll never actually really know what that, went That's down. true. And I don't like to judge anybody without knowing yeah. the true story. So uh, we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens with him. Hopefully so. there'll be more from him. Yep, absolutely. Okay, so next up we've got planes, trains, and automobiles. Yes, we so do. So take, take right. us to it, Mike. Okay, well, l- let me just, before I get through to the synopsis, I want to say two things about planes, trains, and automobiles. Okay. I, as I watched it again, and I hadn't seen it in... in uh, yeah, a good a good amount of years, and um, one two things I noticed about it were one, it is just such a great great film. Like this is one of those movies that I think people forget just how good it is when they haven't seen it in a while. Oh, totally agree. It still holds up really well. It really does, you know. And I think anytime you look at a movie that's twenty five years old, and there's only a few moments here or there that feel you know not so that don't hold up just because of their age or you know different sensibilities. But it was just a few things here and there. But overall, I mean. Out of an hour and forty minute movie, and I'd say an hour and thirty five minutes of it worked perfectly. That that's really something else. Oh, I, I'd so. have to agree. It just it's it's a funny film, and it's just got everything in it. It really does. The, the other thing I wanted to mention was it also reminded me of how great John Candy was. I don't think I've watched a John Candy movie in a long, long time. And um, boy, if this wasn't one of his best roles, you know, uh, he was just letter perfect in that role and boy I really enjoyed watching him again it made me sad that you know that he died so young oh no it's a great loss as you say he just even in his bad films John Candy usually nailed it what he had to do yep yep exactly and you know he he was he was famous for playing these obnoxious, larger-than-life guys, which which his character in this movie is. But in this movie, he was such a likable obnoxious, yeah. and he had this big heart. And it just—he was such an endearing character. And I, I you know, a whole it, lot of it, hearts, I was yeah. really blown away by him in this movie. So, yeah. All right, 
So there we go. So that's what I wanted to say about planes, trains, and automobiles. So here we go. We'll take you through it. So uh, Neil Page, played by Steve Martin. Uh, oh, I should mention this is, a, this is a John Hughes film. This is the first John Hughes film we're talking about. I can guarantee you it will not be the last John Hughes film we're talking about. Oh, there'll be many more. Uh, I am a huge John Hughes fan. So, uh, and he had just you know so many great movies and no sequels. So all of them are ripe for, uh, for our format. Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah. All right. So Neil Page, played by Steve Martin, is uh, an uptight businessman in New York City. And it's two days before Thanksgiving. And he is trying to get home to his family in Chicago for Thanksgiving dinner. Uh, his plane is delayed, and he basically ends up on a road trip across the country together with Del Griffith, who is an obnoxious but lovable uh, guy who's also traveling to Chicago. He is a shower ring salesman. Um, they basically end up on a plane, uh, in a train, in the back of a couple of trucks, in a burned out rental car. Uh, they share some really terrible uh, hotel rooms and go through all sorts of misadventures on their way back to Chicago. I've just got the title. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's right there yeah, in the title. Yeah. Yep. So obvious now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, and, uh, you know, at first they're definitely like oil and water or as you as you Brits would say, let me see if I can impress you. Go here. On, they're a little bit like chalk and cheese. Chalk and cheese. Yeah. Right. Well done. Right, that works. Right. Thank you. Um, and uh, and De- uh, Neil especially is, is really just have a short temper with with Dell. He's a very angry man, isn't he? Neil, yeah. Yeah, he is. He is. He's very angry, very uptight, and he uh, and Dell's a bit much, so, you know. Um, but eventually, he learns to accept Dell for who he is, and they make it back just in time for Thanksgiving dinner, and uh, and uh, Neil invites Dell into the home, and uh, everyone ends up with a happy Thanksgiving. There we have it. And that's the end. Yeah. So, so go ahead, Phil. Tell us what do you have for the day after. Well, the film ends with Thanksgiving. So they have the Thanksgiving meal and they then spend the rest of the evening and the day after just talking about the travels to Neil's wife. Uh, Del's talking about his dearly beloved departed wife. Mm-hmm. And Del stays for a couple of days. They just basically just have a nice holiday, a good laugh. Del isn't as obnoxious once they get to know him and he's he's relaxed and they know all about him. And it's just, it does, them, does Neil and, and Del the world of good. I think you and I are going to be very much on the same page <laughs> yeah. for this film. Um, I will say also, I believe I mentioned last week, I'm a, I'm a sucker for happy endings. Uh, I am, I'm a bit of a uh, sentimentalist, and um, and this after the ending is going to bring that out. In you're going to see my my sappiest. So oh, it's, okay. <laughs> I'm going. I like a good bit of sap. Yeah, I hope I hope people do because I'm going there. So, um, but but yes, for, as far as the day after goes, I have pretty much the exact same thing. Dell eats with the Page family for Thanksgiving. I, you know, the, um, Neil's parents are there and his in-laws are there so it's kind of this whole family and his kids are there so i think dell charms them all because he is a charming guy yeah he would well neil puts them up for the night and and the next day they enjoy some relaxing family time uh, and and just like you i i put that you know dell starts to relax because he doesn't feel like he has to be on all the time yeah. because he he feels accepted which is something he hasn't felt in a long time i think it'd be the first time in a long time he's had a chance to just relax and be himself yeah i think so because he's a salesman and we know he's been on the road for years basically so i think this is his chance to sort of of, you know, not have to be selling anything or selling himself. Yeah. So I think that, you know, and because of that, because he can relax, you know, the family really enjoys him and they, and they accept him. And, you know, so he sort of, uh, he, you know, the kids love him. They start to call him Uncle Dell. And, uh, you know, they have a great holiday weekend. I, I bet you, I bet you he still sells everybody in the family a set of shower rings, though. <laughs> it wouldn't yeah. surprise me. Wouldn't surprise me. Uh, so there you go. So how about your uh, immediate aftermath? Okay, I've got immediate aftermath. The holiday's over, Neil goes back to work, and uh, it's time spent with Dell and learning about Dell's life sticks with him. Uh, he realises, you know, loved ones, you've got to spend time with them as much as you can because you never know, the, you know, the worst could happen. Mm-hmm. So Neil learns to control his anger, 
buckles down at work, gets even better and better, but also spends more quality time with his family. Uh, meanwhile, it's a little bit dark, but it's just kind of character that Del, Del, what Del was going through and what he was. We find out Del had been thinking about killing himself mm-hmm. uh, during the events of the film or before because he was just getting so depressed. The holidays and everything can be a depressing time for people. Sure, absolutely. But his time with Neil and Neil's family helped him through, and he begins to move on. He heads home or to his hometown and starts getting on with his life. He's still selling things, but he decides that he can't just keep running away. Right. And that's, that's what I've got for the immediate aftermath. All right, that's good. You know, it's, it's, that's, a, that's actually, I think, a really good. I, I, I know you said it's a little bit dark, but it's realistic. Yeah. And it's not, I mean, it's, it's positive because he comes out of it. But I do think, I mean, if you look at that character, while I don't think Candy, you know, played that up in any way, I, I definitely, I mean, the, the character definitely has sadness in yeah, him. Yeah, especially, you know? especially when you realize, when it all twigs in. Yeah, you realize what's right. been going on. Exactly. So I could see him being, you know, being perhaps suicidal. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's not a cheerful thought, but it certainly is a possibility. Yeah. You know. Yeah, it's not not particularly the best best thing, but it's just it just seemed that's the, probably the most realistic thing. Yep. Yep. Well, listen. Hey, I like that you brought it out of it. You brought yeah. it, you know you brought him back to the positive. So. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> Um, well, I, I had um, basically after Thanksgiving weekend, you know, Dell hits the road again for, for work, like you said. Um, you know, he's, he's a top salesman. The, the road beckons. Yeah. Um, but he and Neil stay in touch. And uh, I think they invite Dell to come stay with them for Christmas. Um, and I think Neil starts to reflect on his life and realizes that he doesn't really have a lot of friends. You know, he's he's he spends too much time away from his family. And. You know, I just I think he's the kind of guy who, you know, he comes home to his family, but he doesn't really have any close friends. And um, and I think that Dell will always drive him a little bit crazy, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. but in a good way. And I think that their friendship really continues to strengthen. Um, and uh, I think after about a year of staying out on the road, Dell eventually decides to settle down in Chicago. Not not right next door to Neil, because that would drive him crazy. Of but, you course, know, like yeah. within like a half an hour so they can see each other and, and be friends, but they're not right on top of each other. I could see that. Yeah, that's a that's a nice way for it to go. Yeah, I, t- I told you I'm going full sappy. Don't worry. Yeah, it gets nah, sappier. It's nice. Me. I like that. Thank you. <laughs> All right. What do you have for the long term? OK, long term. Uh, we got Neil's karma friendly domain over the past months and years. Sees him move ever higher in his work, and he still manages to spend time with his family, and he realizes he's happier than he's ever been. On the sideline, because he's he's just in the in the moment, in the now, he decides to write a self help book oh, under pen name. I like that. Uh, based on his travels with Dell, all about how chaos can bring in a peace, and he calls the book "How Two Pillows Can Change Your Life." <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That's great. <laughs> so I just thought it'd go that way, Ed. As for Dell, he's still travelling, but not as much. He now deals with all bathroom supplies and has an office which he spends a few months of the year at. He visits Neil and his family whenever he passes through, and he's always with them for Thanksgiving. Oh, I like that. And he also meets a woman, and a romance may or may not blossom, but he's just uh, he's just in a good place. Very nice. So I think. Oh, and also he finds a love of polka music and considers forming a band. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it's a slightly left field. Yeah, but I, I think, like I think it. you know. That it might fits, turn, though. I could turn up in Home Alone. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> that's great. So that's – I did have a couple of alternatives, though. Oh, boy. What do we got? Yeah, well, one of them goes back to uh, the serial killer thing. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Of now, this course. Is, uh, Lay it on this me. Is, this is really dark. Okay. But it's, uh, it turns out Dell's actually the showering killer. He's, <laughs> he's wanted in uh, 15 states. And after the events of the film, he massacres Neil and his family, something oh, he does every Thanksgiving. <laughs> I really wish I hadn't thought of that one because it sort of it put a pall over the whole 
the whole film for me. But it's it's very <laughs> very funny though, because boy howdy, that's a whole different film. But man, yeah, that really yeah. could play. Imagine, out. imagine that film going on, and then the end, the last ten minutes, you realize what's going on. It takes such a dark turn. Yeah. You know, it's such a <laughs> such a comedy the whole way through, and then they just yeah. massacres them all. Yeah, that John Hughes, eh? he's a character. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the other thing I had was. Uh, Del Griffith is actually a spy oh. who changes uh, who changes identity to become other John Candy roles in other films. Ah, I like it. <laughs> there you go. It's your turn to go meta this week. Yeah, very yeah. nice, very nice. <laughs> that was that, but I think I like my first one. I, I yeah, I like that. Yeah, I, like I think that, that was a nice one. All right. Well, um, so for my long term. Um, I, th- I think that Neil is looking for a change. He doesn't like having to travel as much as he does and being away from his family. So Dell actually convinces him to come to American Light and Fixture, where, he, where he's a salesman. Um, and so since Neil's coming from a much bigger company, he takes a VP position, VP of marketing. And uh, since they're a smaller company, they're based in the Midwest, uh, Neil gets to spend a lot more time at home. He doesn't have to travel nearly as much. That's nice. Yeah. After a while, he convinces Dell that he's more than just a showering salesman. And so after a couple of years, Dell takes on a leadership position in the company, and he comes off the road traveling finally as well. And basically, they spend the next 20 years or so working together. They both retire within months of each other, and they remain lifelong friends the whole time. Uh, Dell becomes part of the Page family. Neil becomes much closer to his family, and basically, they live happily ever after. Uh, I do. I did put that, that Dell never remarries. Um, because I think his love for his wife just keeps him from ever remarrying. But yeah. he lives a very happy life regardless. He watches Neil's kids grow up and he kind of acts as their uncle. He's Uncle Dell. And, um, you know, and they all yeah. live happily ever after. No, I like that as well. I could see that one. Thank you. I, I, I you know, I shied away from the serial killer uh, yeah, yeah, aspect this time. But, you know, John Hughes brings out the sentimentality in me. Yeah, I can't it's, it's going it. to go that way. It's going to be the nice the nice ending. Yeah, it, it you know, it's just one of those things where, you know, he – he mastered ending his film so perfectly where you could really you know, you could really see them going a bunch of different ways and he kinda yeah. leaves it up to you and, and I like that for for me, for the sappy guy, all his films end with everyone, you know, being friends yeah. and loving each other and that's just you know, that that's the way I choose to see them ending and other and people. Walk, can walking see them across a the field and putting your fist up in the air. Yeah, exactly. You know? Right, right, exactly. Yeah. So uh yeah, in fact we are definitely gonna do a Breakfast Club episode in the future, but uh I think we're going to do a very special episode of After the Ending for that, and maybe Ooh. we'll do a, a one film, uh, you know, multiple ending, because uh, I think there's yeah, a lot of ways you can go with The Breakfast Club. Yeah, and so. a lot of characters as well. There, yeah, yeah, exactly. So I think that's one for the future. We're going to do a, a special episode, so hopefully people will uh, stick around long enough to hear it. They should do. I think so. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure they'll, they'll muddle through. Absolutely. All right, so um, so anything else you want to say about Planes, Trains, and Automobiles? Uh, just it's a great film. And I really do love it. It's, uh, it was good watching it again, to be honest. It's been a while since I'd seen it. Yeah, absolutely. It yeah. really was. It's definitely one of my favorites, and I, I was sort of glad to rediscover how much I love that film. Yeah, And the scene with the, where he's trying to sort out his hire car back at the office for the hire car, that really, with lots of expletives. With, oh, was, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I really do like it. You know what? Thing. Your British slang threw me there for a minute. We call yeah. them rental cars. And I was oh, like, rental cars, of course. Hire yeah. car. What is that? Hire yes. car, rental car. Yeah, it was funny, too, because up until that moment, I was thinking, you know, there's nothing in this film that I couldn't let my kids watch this movie because it was relatively free of profanity. Um, and, you know, and the situations were all pretty funny. There was nothing too adult in it. And then they get to that to that rental car scene and the, he drops <laughs> the F-bomb it. like 20 yeah. times. And I was like, well, I guess we're going to hold off on that one for beep a few this, more years. Beep that. Give me a beeping car. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah, but uh, but good stuff. Good stuff. So, 
All right. So, uh, well, obviously, there's one major thing to talk about as far as movies go this week, which is uh, the Oscars, as we mentioned earlier. So, um, I'm so, the Razzies. There was also the Razzies. Oh yeah, the Razzies. The That's the true. Razzies. That's true. Yeah, we'll which talk one's about more that. Important? We'll talk, let, more let's start with the Oscars, then we'll get to the Razzies. Okay. All right. So, how, what were your thoughts on the Oscars? At least on, on the you know on the winners and the losers and so on. Uh, to be honest, I'm quite happy with pretty much all. All the winners. Uh, the one thing for me that I was surprised with was that uh, Spotlight won Best Picture. I'm not saying it didn't deserve it. It's just when it first came out, it was it was riding the tide. It was just going to be the big winner. Then it just seemed to fade out. Yep. Yeah, it did. And I, I, th- I thought other things were going to take over, like the big short was suddenly everywhere and the Revenant was just trundling through the wilderness. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But yeah, but Spotlight, it was nice to win and also won the best original screenplay. Yep. Yeah. And you know, I want to just, I just want to point out that uh, a couple of weeks ago in episode one, I chose to uh, bring people's attention to a, a little movie that some people might not have heard of called Spotlight. Oh, uh, you did? I did. As a matter of fact, yeah. I, I used some of my time to, to, you know, to pimp that movie out. So I, I clearly I had some prescient knowledge there. So I think you did. Um, you know what I think contributed to it winning, though? What's that? Uh, besides that it was a great film, and I really, really loved it. I, I do think it was fantastic. Um, but I think that the the best picture category was so – widespread yeah that i think it i don't want to say it won by default because that implies that it didn't deserve it but you know mad max wasn't going to win you know um yeah it's it's, it's, it's just too not, different right it's not what people are in the academy vote for you know room not enough people i think saw it you know kind yeah. of and it was sort of a you know a darker film um you know the revenant i think you made a good point in our first episode that you know it's a great looking film and it's a great performance and that's why it won cinematography and directing and you know um, all that's all the did it win cinematography? Yeah, it did. Yeah, it did you? And uh, of course, DiCaprio got his first ever Oscar. Right, for DiCaprio it. got it. But I think you know, story wise, it wasn't the best picture. So I think that worked against it. So I think when you looked at all these other films, they all kind of had some sort of deficiency. You know, Brooklyn. I don't think enough yeah. people saw that. You know, so so Spotlight kind of had this great ensemble cast. You know, a sharp script, a really topical. You know, storyline, and I think, and it's a great film. So I think it's yeah, sort of everything was on point for it, wasn't it? As you say, great cast. Yeah, yeah, uh, I think it was important subject matter. Right, but done done in a way where it was probably a bit more watchable mm-hmm. than other films could have done with it. And I think yeah, it probably hit all the marks that the uh, the Oscar voting went for. Yeah, that's what so that's what I think anyway. But I, I was happy to see it win, frankly, because it was definitely one of my favorite movies of the year. So well, I, I was also glad to see uh, Mark Rylance winning uh, Best Supporting Actor for yeah. Bridge of Spies. That came out of left field, I think. I don't think people thought he was going to win. I think a lot of people won or lost their office pools based on yeah. that one because I think most people probably didn't pick him as the winner and the, the few that did probably snuck in a win there, you know. Yeah, it was either going to be Ruffalo for Spotlight or Sylvester Stallone for Creed. Right, right, exactly. And they were, and you know, they were probably my top two. I, I will say, I was very happy with all of the awards and the winners. My one disappointment for the evening was that Stallone didn't win for for uh, Creed. Yeah, it would have been nice. It would have. You know, here's the thing. I'm, I'm a big Stallone fan. I'm. I make no bones about it. I love his action movies. I, I you know, I grew up watching his movies. You know, oh, the, the, the great films. Yeah, I mean, the, the Rocky, the first Rocky is just. A superb film. Absolutely. And, and you know, so so I'm a, I'm a big fan, but I also think he's an underrated actor. I, I mean, when he gets a chance to show it, he is really a fantastic actor. And I think Copland, which is one of my favorite movies of all time. That's a, br- that's a brilliant film. It really is. And he's he's amazing in it. And he didn't get nearly enough, enough attention for that. So I, I thought that, you know, he was 
excellent in Creed. I thought he was really terrific. It would have been nice to kind of cap his career off with, you know, an award to sort of, yeah. you know, encapsulate all these performances he'd done, you know. Because he won an Oscar for, for the screenplay for Rocky, didn't he? Yes, he I did. Think. He yeah. did, right. So, but, yeah, it would have been nice if this was his last appearance as, as Rocky. Well, it might not be his last one, but, you know, it would have been good, as you say, for him to, he could have had bookmarked the beginning and end of the character. Right, exactly. So that that was for me, though. And, and nothing against Mark Rylance. You know, he, he's great. I, I don't, I obviously never want to take away from another actor. But that was my one disappointment was that I really was pulling for Sly to win it. But, you know, what are you going to do? I know. But, um, but look, Mad Max Fury Road, though, it did get six Oscars. Yeah. So which is. I can't really complain, can it? You really can't. I mean, I think we all knew it wasn't going to win Best Picture. And, and yeah. the, even Best Director was a long shot. So at least it was nice to see it get. And it deserved those technical awards because man that is a film that looks like nothing else out there it was it's, it was a breath of fresh air at the cinema it really was so it got costume design best production design makeup hair styling best film editing sound editing and sound mixing oh actually that's the other surprise best visual for effects was for ex machina or ex machina yeah that was i didn't expect that, that one, one was a bit of a surprise yeah. actually especially i mean i, I mean I guess I shouldn't really say I, I, I do see why because the the seamless blending of making her into a, a robot. She was, was real, wasn't she? When you're watching the film, yeah, yeah, it was pretty amazing. Um, so so I get that, but it's going. It was just a small film comparatively speaking. Yeah, because it went up against Mad Max Fury Road, The Martian, The Revenant, and Star Wars: The Force Awakens. So yeah, that was that was probably the could be the biggest surprise to be honest. Yeah, I agree. But you know what? Here's the thing, and I'm going to go back. This is one of my biggest Oscar pet peeves. Whereas this is one I've been holding on to for about <laughs> six years now. The the special effects category. I no longer give them any credit for that because you know why? Tron Legacy was not even nominated for best special effects. And you can say whatever you want about Tron Legacy, but that movie, visually speaking, was mind blowing. Yeah, and yeah, the f- have to give you that. The fact that it didn't even get a nomination, much less win, I was very angry about that, and I still I still hold a lot of anger about that. Clearly, oh, I can understand that. I love Tron. I love the first film, um, Tron Legacy. I enjoyed it. It wasn't the, the Tron film I wanted, but as you say, it looked it looked incredible. Yeah, it definitely wasn't the Tron yeah. film I wanted either. Um, although that's a movie we may have to discuss in a future episode because I, I could go on for twenty minutes talking about Tron Legacy. I have very yeah, Tron Legacy, very complicated yeah. thoughts about it. But um, but <laughs> regardless of, of you know what the movie itself was like, the special effects in that movie were amazing. So anyway, so I you know again not to take away from Ex Machina, but yeah. Um, what else? What else did you like from from the awards? Oh, it was good to see Ennio Morricone win uh, an Oscar for Best Original Score for The Hateful Eight. Right, yeah, absolutely. Always love Morricone. Yeah, because I wasn't sure whether he was actually going to be nominated to begin with because he apparently used some of his some of the score from John Carpenter's The Thing and sort of rehashed it. So there was a little bit of doubt whether it could qualify, but obviously that wasn't the case. Right, and he's finally, he's got that uh, he's got that Academy Award. Yep, yep. So that was nice. Absolutely. It's interesting that um, you know when you look at the composers like John Williams, I mentioned he'd been he'd been nominated for fifty Academy Awards and there's only won five, which I found surprising. But that's that's pretty crazy. Wow. Yeah, he's been nominated for fifty. Fifty times, yeah, fifty. Five zero. Five zero Academy Awards. Wow. Yep. I know, mind blowing, isn't it? That's incredible. I I didn't know that. I yeah, I didn't either until they said it on the show last night. Wow. So yeah, that was uh, that was pretty cool. But I was happy to see Morricone win anyway. Although I I, I admit, as a Star Wars fan, I kind of wanted to see John Williams take it for um you know for Star Wars again. Yeah. But 
Morricone is a great, so it was it was it was well deserved. Yeah, definitely. Uh, one of the ones I was happy about was Alicia Vikander winning for uh, for best supporting actress. Um, I've really really liked her for a couple of years now. I, f- I actually first came across her in um, two movies that I don't think a lot of people saw. One of them was The Fifth Estate, which was the uh, Julian Assange story that came out a couple of years back. Oh, I know the one. Yeah. And then the other one actually that I really liked her in though was this movie called Son of a Gun, um, which was a uh, foreign-ish <laughs> film. That's the Australian one. Yes, that's it. The Australian yeah. action movie um, that, and she played the the kind of well, the girl, the love interest. But she was really good in it, and um, and also very attractive. That's the one with Ewan McGregor. Yes. He's the bad guy, yes. isn't he? Yeah, and he's yeah, fantastic. Yeah. Yes, and I actually yeah. really yeah. like that movie. Um, but that was kind of the film that really brought her to my attention. And I've sort of, and then right after that, of course, she was in you know Seventh Son, Ex Machina, uh, The Man from Uncle, and The Danish Girl. And I was like, every time I see her, I'm like, man, she just gets better and better. So yeah. I, you know, I like to claim that she was my discovery. I, I know <laughs> she wasn't really, but <laughs> I I always find that crazy when you see an actress or an actor who's you see them in one or two films and they're like nobody's really seen them and suddenly they're in like three or four or five big budget movies over a couple of years yep yep and now she's got an oscar (laughs) yeah it's just it's just i know they worked a long long time before but just on the film work suddenly they just come from one or two films and they've got like five or six, and then they've got an Oscar. Yeah, it's brilliant. And well, look at Brie Larson. I mean, she was the she was the female lead in Twenty One Jump Street a couple of years yeah, ago, yeah. which you know, for my money, is one of the funniest films of the past decade. But you know, it wasn't exactly a you know it was a good take on the original show. Yeah, it was. A good oh yeah, film. you know, but she wasn't winning any awards for that. You know, <laughs> well, I, I really only knew her from uh, a few episodes of Community she was in. Right, right. And I don't really. I, I've probably seen her in lots of other things, but I just that was the one which always sort of stood out. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think she's. I mean, she's relatively. Uh, I want to say relatively new. I mean, you know, within the scope of things, you know, as far yeah, as getting yeah. the, the big roles. So, but good for her for you know for taking home that award as well. And she was up against some stiff competition as well. Kate Blanchett. Yeah. Jennifer Lawrence, Charlotte Rampling. Yeah, yeah. It was definitely. But it was good to see. You know, it's good to see. I thought one of the things I, I liked about the awards this year too was. It was a lot of new talent, you know, or, or, or people who hadn't won the awards before. You know, it wasn't the yeah. same old, same old as we used to see with Jack Nicholson and all those, you know, same old, same old, you know, every year. Yeah. The same people getting nominated and, you know. It wasn't really giving somebody an Oscar just because they put the time in. Right. All right. Well, let me ask you this then. So okay, how about, on. so Leonardo DiCaprio finally gets his Oscar. He finally got it. Yeah. I, was made, I was made up he won. Yeah. But I'm also slightly disappointed because I would have loved to have seen what the internet came up with today. Oh, I know. You know, with the, the various. <laughs> pictures and things but no I'm, I'm well deserved he did he did a good thing with that role yeah it's probably not out of all the roles he's been nominated for it's probably not the one i would have picked no to win for, no but, uh, i would have liked to have seen him win it for wolf of wall street actually um yeah i, yeah. I love that movie and i loved him in it but you know i'm happy he finally got one and I'll, you know what else i thought that's how you do an oscar speech oh yeah like his his speech was just fantastic like it was gracious it was it was humble but also he managed to get his you know his cause of environmentalism in there which is an important cause you know saving the planet it wasn't like he was just trying to shove it down your throat like sometimes happens right right it was was a passionate like it was an impassioned plea like it was like this is something we should all care about you know it was was from the heart you know and i thought it was i thought it was an excellent speech so i was i was very pleased to see him take the podium last night yeah it was very classy without a doubt so uh yeah um uh, other than that like i said i was pretty happy with all the choices yeah i have to agree with you i I think they made the right choices. Okay, but then we've got the Golden Raspberry Award Foundation had their 36th yep, yep. Razzie Award. 
over the weekend as well. Yes, for worst films. Yes, did worst you see any of this? You know, I didn't watch it. I usually just read up on it afterwards. So worst picture, though, this time it was two. It was The Fantastic Four, yeah, from our friend Josh Trank. Ironically, it ties nicely into our chronicle, yeah. You'd think we planned it, didn't you? <laughs> Sadly, the sad part is that we didn't. You know, it wouldn't have been that hard to plan it. <laughs> Damn it. Right, don't let the secrets out. Yeah, man behind the mirror. <laughs> right, right. Man behind the curtain, that was Right. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, it was Fantastic Four and Fifty Shades of Grey. Yep. Now, I haven't seen Fifty Shades of Grey, and I never really want to. Okay. But uh, I think it was the other choices were Jupiter Ascending, Paul Blart, Malcop. Two and pixels, so I think it did. You know, here's here's my, here's my take on that. First of all, I, I saw Fifty Shades of Grey. My my wife's a fan of the books, and, and you know, oh no. uh, we went and saw it. And uh, I, I didn't think it was all that that bad personally. I mean, it was. Um, listen, is it is it great <laughs> filmmaking? No, it is not. Is okay. it was it entertaining enough way to kill two hours? Sure, there was actually some humor in it. You know, um, you know, there was lots of nudity, so you know, not, <laughs> not the worst thing ever. It's ticking some boxes. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's exactly. It's, it's it's checking the boxes. So I didn't think it was that terrible. Here's my thing, though. If you really think that Fifty Shades of Grey was the worst movie that came out last year, you're not watching enough movies. Yeah. Because there's a load of movies out there that are way worse. than Like, they really kind of only pick, like, the, the big films. You know what I mean? Yeah, you're right. It's the ones with the big budgets, which aren't right. very good. Right. So, uh, and all, and also, I will say, if you don't think that Paul Blart Two was the worst film of the year, you've got some issues. I mean, the fact that that didn't beat either Fantastic Four or Fifty Shades of Grey, like that movie was, yeah. Oh man, that was ninety minutes of my life I will never get back. Um, yeah. And and you know, so so I but don't they know. Still, it still makes a ton of money though. It's like yeah. Adam Sandler films; they just yeah. keep making the money. You know, the thing with Pixels too. Did you see Pixels? No, I haven't. My daughter saw it and she enjoyed it. Yeah, it's. But um, she, she just even she thought it wasn't as good as it could be the problem with it was that it it had a lot of potential it looked great yeah it was a great concept and the script was like something written by an eighth grader like there was there was just no humor in it there was no every time there was an opportunity for a joke yeah they went the other way and like there just weren't like jokes in the movie i mean it really was odd that it was either my sense of humor is really off although the the box office grosses would kind of tend to side with me or it just wasn't like funny just like they, they had the plots and then they just didn't write anything around it yeah i mean the only funny person in it was josh gad you know and then and peter dinklage did this very weird sort of like pseudo california surfer slash <laughs> british accent thing which okay i know he was trying to sound like this kind of pompous character but it was really bizarre and i i love yeah. peter dinklage but it was well he can he can do a good accent yeah in, uh, game of thrones he right just, and this well this wasn't one of them it was very <laughs> strange and, and it, it it i don't know it just the movie just didn't work and it, and it should have with the talent that was involved but yeah, it was a wasted opportunity with that kind of setup Absolutely. Like I said, it was a cool concept and it looked great. So, I, you know, I just it was really disappointing that they couldn't just throw some jokes in there, you know. So I don't know. I don't know. Well, I did ask uh, the people on Live for Films. I did set up a poll yeah. to, to ask uh, what, were they, what they thought was the worst movie because two pictures were chosen. But I asked them whether Fantastic Four or Fifty Shades of Grey was the worst. Wait, let um, me guess. They, they, get, they voted for Fifty Shades of Grey. No, it was, oh. 50, it was close, though. 55% went for Fantastic Four. All right. So very close. So you know what that means? People who are voting actually saw the movies that they were voting on. Yeah, yeah. Because you know what happens is Fifty Shades of Grey gets this backlash, much like the Twilight movies, because it's like, oh, it's Fifty Shades of Grey. Those are books, you know, they're chick books and they're terribly yeah. written and they're selling a million copies. So we're going to rail against how much we hate them, even though we haven't read them or yeah. watched them. You know, like that's what people do. Exactly. Like, people are like oh, I, I hate Twilight. I haven't seen it, haven't read the books, but I hate it. It's terrible. Yeah, I mean – 
it's you can't really have an opinion on something until you've seen it or read it. Exactly. You know, so uh, it, that so to me that tells me that people taking your poll actually watched the movies and then yeah, voted. It seems that know? way because it seems the voting's almost split perfectly, right. same as the worst. So they must have had the same problem with the uh, the Razzies. Right. So they just went with that one. So. Right, exactly. But uh, also the worst actor and worst actress was uh, Jamie Dornan and Dakota Johnson from Fifty Shades of Grey. See, that to me is just, it's just pandering, I think. Like, they were yeah. perfectly fine in those roles. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. you know, they, they had to work around some clunky dialogue and stuff, sure. But there, there was nothing about their performances that I would qualify as, as bad. You know what I mean? Yeah. But the, the worst director there was Josh Trank for Fantastic Four. All right, fair enough. So yeah. there you go. Yeah. Come on, Trank, get your game together. That's right. Make another That's good, right. You know what? I'm going to watch that film soon, and I'm going to I'm going to see if it's as bad as everyone says it is, and I'll report back when uh, when I get a chance to watch it, so we can we can see if it's really if it's really as awful as everyone says it is. Oh, we look forward to your analysis. Of yeah. It. Yeah. Uh, yeah. If anyone's going to like it, it'll be me because I tend to be that guy <laughs> who those movies that everyone hates, and I'm like, no, Ooh. that movie's great. You know. Yes, but if you don't like it, then it must be really, really, really bad. That. Yeah, yeah, I think so. So we'll find out soon, soon. Uh, stay tuned to find out what I think of Fantastic Four. Oh, the suspense. <laughs> okay, well, that's going to wrap things up for this episode of After the Ending. As always, if you want to leave suggestions for movies that you'd like to hear us uh, give After the Endings to, I'm trying to make that a verb. I don't know if it's working yet or not, but we'll, we'll see. It's getting there. All right. Um, you can uh, leave us some comments on our Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash After the Ending Podcast. Um, also, you can leave your uh, favorite and least favorite movie endings of all time, and we will read some of the best ones out here in the episodes. Um, next week, Phil, what are we going to do next week? we got a couple of exciting films to talk about. Next week, we will be raising a glass of white Russian yeah. as we look at the Coen brothers, The Big Lebowski. Yep. And after that, we will be looking at Tony Scott's Spy Game starring Robert Redford and Brad Pitt. Yes, an underrated film in my opinion. A very good film. Yes, indeed. Uh, so we'll be talking about those next week. And um, in the meantime, Phil, tell us, uh, go ahead and pimp out your pimp out your stuff for us real quick. I'm Phil. I am the chief editor of liftforfilms.com for all your movie news, trailers, interviews, posters, cool art, and whatever else takes my interest. So, Mike, tell us more about where we can find you. All right. Well, uh, you can find my pop culture news and views on IWantMy2Dollars.com. And uh, you can follow my author page on Facebook at Facebook.com slash MikeSpringOfficial, where you can learn about some of the fiction projects I have in the works. All right. Well, Phil, I hope you have a good uh, movie-watching week. And uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. I'm Mike Spring. And I'm Phil Edwards. And we'll see you next time. After the ending. Who's gone on to do a few other films... That's a good start, isn't it? Should have made notes. Right off the bat, man. Right off yeah. the bat. <laughs> okay. Uh, much like you, uh, I said uh, – sorry. Go on. I actually, that sounded like I was just complimenting you. I'm sorry <laughs> that I wasn't. I do think you're a charming guy. Thank you though. very much. Uh, <laughs> you know, like for like Charlotte Rampling, although it's a great role, she won other awards. Right. Oh, no, cut, forget that bit. I was going nowhere with that. So. <laughs> All right. Well, <laughs> yeah. I realized it was like a dead end, so. Yeah. Yeah, I'll have to I, – I'm pretty – I was happy with what. What? <laughs> yeah, that's good. We'll get into a we'll get into a little uh, yeah. debate. You're wrong, Mike. You're just wrong. <laughs> you can't handle the truth. <laughs> there you go. And uh, and uh, my uh, okay. <laughs> uh, Mike, do you want to tell us a bit about? Hold on. No, no, no. Did the same as you. <laughs>